It's December 22nd, a good Wednesday to you. This episode of Real Talk is presented by the team at Bitcoin Well. Wanted to uh, remind you about that partnership that Bitcoin Well has with Athabasca University. You remember Athabasca has these, uh, I mean, they've got all kinds of programs through it. They call Power Ed. You can go to AthabascaU.com. Uh, .ca and learn more about what that's I mean the relevance here why this is sort of you know breaking right off the top why this is our lead today is because Bitcoin Well has partnered with PowerEd by Athabasca University to create a free online curriculum about Bitcoin so if you want to understand more about it you don't want to feel like you have absolutely not a clue what people are referencing when they bring up cryptocurrency or Bitcoin why not visit bitcoinwell.com to enroll in bitcoin academy today it's free hit it sam real talk starts right now here's ryan jesperson coming up in about 10 minutes we're going to talk to uh mike parker who's the president of the uh, hsaa that's the health sciences association of alberta uh, in layman's speak, to cut to the chase, Mike is representing the union that lost a brother on the weekend, a paramedic who perished uh, while on duty uh, as, uh, as uh, those providing uh, emergency, basic life support, you might call it, uh, at the time were waiting for an ambulance to arrive. There was no ambulance available in the city of Airdrie, Alberta, where this happened. And we're going to learn more about the bigger picture here. First of all, what happened that night, that early morning? I should say. And second of all, what does this mean for other paramedics and first responders? And what's the truth about a shortage of ambulances in Alberta? The role that centralized dispatch may or may not be playing. We're going to cut right to it with Mike Car- uh, Parker in about 10 minutes. And then our, our, our faith leaders roundtable. I'm looking forward to this. This is a conversation with uh, Reverend Michael Corrin, an Anglican priest and author, a nationally uh, syndicated newspaper columnist uh, Noor Al Hannity from Al Rashid Mosque and uh, a good friend of mine who I haven't seen uh, literally I haven't seen his face in a few years uh, Rabbi Cleo Rose I'm so excited to, to have him back uh, the rabbi left our hometown of Edmonton to return to what I believe was I'll clarify with him but I'm pretty sure his hometown I think of Winnipeg brought his family back he was born there is that right or at least he, he, he lived in Winnipeg for a long time before Edmonton you bet uh, but he came to Edmonton and uh, everybody in Edmonton fell in love with him and was like you are ours we love you here thank you for for playing such an important role in the in sort of interfaith dialogues and and leading the jewish community in edmonton and then all of a sudden rabbi rose was gone back to winnipeg and so i'm I'm excited to have him here on real talk for a good conversation Uh, we will visit the mountains today as part of my jasper memories we're going to get into a few of your emails i'm looking forward to getting into this one from michael who wrote in to talk to us uh, about the fact perhaps it's an inconvenient fact for those that are arguing that pipelines are the main impetus for Alberta's exit from Canada. We heard that from Dr. Barry Cooper on the show a few days ago in debate with Senator Paula Simons. If you missed that one, you've got to check it out. Literally, Cooper leaves with a bloody nose, literally. Uh, but Simons, though she pulled no punches, was not responsible for his bleeding. Uh, it prompted Michael to write in. He exclaims in his subject, half of American oil pipelines 
sitting empty. We're going to get into his email on that. Plus, news of the day as it develops. Uh, that includes word out of Calgary that if you're tuning in now, you probably already know this. Calgary's Mayor Jody Gondek confirming that the Calgary Flames uh, or the, the Calgary, I mean, the, the, the organization that's representing the Calgary Flames here, Calgary Sports and Entertainment Corporation, uh, has let the mayor's office know that they're probably pulling out of this arena deal. This will probably be disappointing to some Calgarians and probably to Flames fans who are looking forward to an, a new arena. Um, the word, and we've been in touch with the mayor's office, they basically say, you know, escalating costs, cold feet, brakes were applied. That's what happened. That's the story. Uh, I'm oversimplifying and under-summarizing here, but but basically there have been some additional costs, as is oftentimes the case with this. Started around $550 million. It's jumped to about $610 million. There was an agreement between the Flames. I'm going to say as you know, th- this organization, I'm just going to say the Flames. You know what I'm talking about. The Flames in the city, that they would share some of the costs, and then they reached a deal that said any further overruns, the Flames cover. The city can't cover anymore. The mayor's office has had some priorities, like adding solar panels to it. There's been some changes to the roadways, some implications on cost. And the Flames have said, we're not doing it anymore. Uh, per the mayor, uh, says Jody Gondek from her Twitter just last night. Uh, this was, you know, I don't know, 10 hours ago or something like that, 15 hours ago. She says, I spoke with Murray Edwards. Keep in mind, Murray Edwards, the, you know, the, the, the gazillionaire, the, the, the big oil and gas guy. I'm sort of wondering even if the, the solar panels are annoying Murray Edwards. Like, honestly, I'm not even joking. I wonder if he's annoyed by the solar panels. I don't know. I don't know. Well, when, you know, when you look at construction projects, there are things that get cut right off the top, right? Yeah. And they're like, okay, well, we don't, we don't need those and we don't need these. And yeah. I bet you solar panels are right at the tippy top you, you of that You look at list. Seattle's arena, though. It's absolutely stunning where the Kraken are playing right now. Climate Pledge Arena. And I wonder if maybe Mayor Gondek saw an opportunity to send a message about Calgary. All right. When you think of Calgary, you think oil and gas. There's nothing wrong with that. You shouldn't be embarrassed about that. Calgary You should be proud of that. Calgary, you have fueled the country's economy for decades as if you don't know this already. But Calgary's changing and it's exciting. There's big potential for Calgary, but I can understand why it's the mayor's priority to get solar panels on the arena. Is this all about solar panels? Probably not. But the mayor announces she spoke with Murray Edwards as primary shareholder, obviously, of the Calgary Sports and Entertainment Corporation about the future of the event center project. He informed me of the flame's intention to pull the plug on the deal. Why, says the mayor, here's what I know. And then she kind of goes into a lot of this stuff, and I'm not going to get into the weeds because it's a lot of numbers on who's sharing which costs, etc. But here's where it gets interesting. The mayor says the city came to the table to assist with six and a half million dollars in roadways, uh, leaving about nine point seven million dollars for the flames. And based on this gap, they informed me they're walking away from the deal. So is this over two million bucks? I don't know. But says the mayor on a project worth over six hundred fifty million to have one party walk away for one point five percent of the value of the deal is staggering. So that's public posturing from the mayor. Guess what, though? This is also public posturing from the Calgary Flames. And we're coming to you from a city that saw its own contentious arena deal go down over the course of years. Now, up next, you know, and and the Flames yesterday said, hey, it is our intention to stay in the Saddle Dome. We're going to continue to play. Do they? I think it's still called the Scotiabank Saddle Dome, I think. Uh, We're still going to play. It is Sam, yeah. Uh, They they say we're still going to play in the Saddle Dome. So they've not yet pulled the card that we're going to leave. But that'll be next. The, the next they will they'll they'll threaten to go to Quebec City. I mean, it sort of hurts there 
power their leverage maybe a little bit that Seattle got a team already because everyone was always going, ah, there's Seattle. Some people will muse about Hamilton, but you know, the Toronto Maple Leafs will try to block that if possible. And then the next obvious one will probably be Quebec City, but that's not happening. And Gary Bettman's not going to let the Flames leave Calgary. Marie Edwards is not going to move the Flames from Calgary. And it's all going to be posturing. And ultimately, probably the deal will get done. But as of right now, they say they're walking away from the deal. We'll see. It's what a lot of people will be talking about around the Christmas tree in Calgary these holiday seasons. Those groups, though, Sarah Hoyles, maybe a little bit smaller. The holiday gatherings based on an announcement yesterday from Alberta's premier. Why don't you take us into some just kind of the basics, what people need to know if they've not paid attention to the news conference or what have you? Well, I think the tippy top of the list is the fact that anybody 18 years old or older can now get their third booster if they're five months out from their uh, second dose. Huge. That's mega. People were really excited about that. Have you booked yours? Uh, I've not booked it yet. Are you kidding me? I'm still working on like things from last year, but I'm going to do my... <laughs> Our family manager will take care of that, I'm that's sure. Right, that's and I'm, right. And I'm lucky to have her in my life. Maybe they're already been booked. You don't even Maybe know. Maybe they it. already have been booked. <laughs> Maybe I got mine in my sleep. I don't know. <laughs> I am feeling a little queasy today. Not really. Uh, the other big things are that's taking effect immediately. So yeah. right now, as of the 24th, so Christmas Eve, we've got... Um, Liquor service uh, will be ending at 11 p.m. in restaurants, pubs, bars, all that. And they're at what? What's their capacity deal with the bars, bars and pubs? I saw a bunch of them are closing down yesterday. They made those announcements. Well, as far as it, uh, it says for venues with capacity of between 500 and 1,000, limit to 500 uh, 50% capacity at venues that seat more than a thousand people. That's so, significant for the World Juniors. Yeah. Set to go in Edmonton and Red Deer. And then when you're sitting in those seats, when you're going to those big, big venues, they are no sipping. You're not allowed to sip. You're not allowed to no snack. No food or drink. Yeah. Just keep it. Keep that mask on. You know why, obviously, because and, and this is like the venues are going to go, oh, man, like you can't sell beer at the World Juniors. They're going to go, oh, geez, like we're talking millions of dollars Liquor in lost sales, revenue yeah. at the same time. Uh, it's either that or maybe be shut down. Yeah. So, I, you know, it's it's kind of part of the trade off. But, you know, because you were seeing what was happening at these public gatherings. Oh, yeah. If you could have food or drink, if you were eating or drinking, you didn't have to have your mask on. And instead of people dropping the mask to like hammer back some popcorn and then pull the mask back up, people were just, you know, as long as you had a beer, as long as you had something in your hand, you didn't have to wear your mask for like 20 minutes. And that was kind of I would I would say I've been to, you know, several NHL games this season. The compliance for me, generally speaking, has been pretty solid. I wouldn't bullshit you if it hadn't have been. Yeah. I would call it how I saw it. Um, I would say probably in the in the stands, maybe like one in five people at times didn't have their masks on. I would say the majority of people were wearing their masks. But still, this is the province saying half capacity. So arenas will be at about nine thousand. Yeah. Right. If they're you know, if they could be full. The question also is, how do you determine who gets these tickets? People have had their World Juniors tickets for like two years. So probably some sort of a draw or some sort of a lottery. I'm yeah. sure that the, the preferred folks, you know, the VIPs, yeah. um, you know, the, the the tier ones will will still get their tickets. But there's that to be sorted out. Um, about I mean, more than the World Juniors, obviously. Oh, yeah. I mean, uh, Kenny actually even referenced the Oilers right then and there in that conference yesterday. Uh, he also said, like, no darts, no billiards, no dancing. So there will be no frivolity at all during Is when you're... Is this <laughs> Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Where's Kevin Bacon? Uh, no hand-holding, <laughs> no slow dancing, yeah, no, and but- surely no kissing. 
So this is in restaurants, pubs, and bars. No billiards, no darts, no dancing. Okay. What about people gathering at home? We already know. Like, did anything change from yesterday? Not. uh, Well, yes and no. They basically said 50% is what they said. They said, cut everything down by half. So they're asking people to kind of take steps on their own to do what they can. That's right. Which, Which I'm okay. There's balance. I'm okay with that. You know, you and I, you and I have, oh no, I disagree. You, you and I just talked before, not to betray the privacy of our conversations. (gasps) You wouldn't. You told me your social insurance number and it is, (laughs) but you even told me, you told me, you said you and your family are going to, our family's doing the same thing. You and your family are going to make a decision based on what you feel safe and what you feel comfortable doing. That's great. And that's, that's what the majority of people will do. There are going to be. I know families that are all unvaccinated and, you know, they all believe that Lord Jesus is going to save them anyway. And so they're all going to get together on Christmas and probably have another, you know who I'm talking about, you, another super spreader event. We know that they're going to do that. But for the most part, I bet you people, I hope people are going to be reasonable. Uh, Sam, if we have it locked and loaded, here's what Alberta's premier had to say yesterday uh, on the heels of that announcement with regards to some of this updated COVID protocol or policy giving folks some clear parameters here about uh, what what uh, they need to do uh, to help us to mitigate the spread. And I trust Albertans will, uh, in the vast majority of cases, make good choices. Okay, so that's Jason Kenney yesterday. The vast majority of cases he trusts Albertans will make good choices. I think that uh, he's correct. And we're talking about a majority. If you think technically, I'm I'm not pretending. Hoyles, you know me. I can raise red flags and scream and yell and bang the table. I, I do it a lot. Um, but I, but I do want to point out at least so people can, maybe I'm just talking to myself. So my blood pressure can drop just a little bit. Uh, when we're talking about, first of all, folks that are not yet vaccinated. And then second of all, of the unvaccinated people, those that will brazenly defy common sense or medical advice in the face of a pandemic, it is a tiny, tiny majority of people, right? Like if you look at grown adults, unvaccinated grown adults, uh, uh, let's say them eligible for vaccinations, it's it's about 10%, right? Maybe 15%. And, and, and of that, you know, and this is just speculative math, but if half or a third of them decide to still have these big holiday super spreaders, they're going to be pissed. I said holiday Christmas super spreaders. <laughs> We'll get into that later. We'll get into that later with our faith leaders roundtable. We're talking about, you know, 5% of the population, maybe. Not that that can't be problematic. Not that they can't get a whole bunch of people sick. I'm just saying, if we want to restore or maintain faith in humanity, I think it's important to have that perspective check. Most people will do the right thing. I, um, my faith will not be restored. That's okay. (laughs) We need one cynic in every conversation. (laughs) Sometimes it's me. You know, sometimes it's not really ever Sam, is it? I would say Sam was a little cynical about the Edmonton Elks hirings yesterday, but oh, we don't have time God. to get into it, unfortunately. So sorry, Sam, because we still have to get into. We've still got to cover. Don't give me that soapbox. No, no, yeah, and we've got to cover. I'm gonna, I'm gonna like lose my mind on what happened to Edmonton's food bank and their trucks overnight. Um, it almost. I, I can't save it for trash talk. I want to do it today. I can't wait for it tomorrow. Plus, your poll yesterday on it, would people prefer phones that didn't accept calls? So we'll get to those as well. But we're gonna get serious. We're gonna talk about a tough story in just a second the passing of a paramedic in his early 40s a cardiac incident cardiac arrest it sounds like i shouldn't be offering any sort of medical analysis of this but we're going to talk to mike parker from the paramedics union 
coming up in just a second about that. This is a story I know that's just obviously been so difficult for Albertans to hear about. We think about uh, the friends and the family of this young man who passed away over the weekend. I want to remind you, of course, the show is made possible because of sponsors like Park Power. Uh, right now, I mean, I saw yesterday, did you see this on Twitter? I, I, I pushed it out from my account. If you follow me, and I think Sarah did too from our Real Talk account, uh, someone was speculating on what's going to happen to prices for utilities in January. We could be talking about natural gas, I think was the conversation there, but electricity as well, obviously relevant. Park Power's got internet too. They're your friendly local utilities provider offering fixed and variable rates on utilities. So you can, and you can swap back and forth if you want month to month. There's no contracts. You're never locked into a deal that you determine to be no longer fitting what you're looking for. It's why we love to deal with them. The promo code 2021-REALTALK gets you $70 off your first bill from Park Power at parkpower.ca. A big shout out to the team at Kubi Energy. I wonder if, I bet you Jake's already got a, got, he's probably already seeking out, are there RFPs going on for the solar panels on this new Calgary arena? I wonder what Jake's probably going, damn it, right now. We'll see. I mean, they do big, huge projects, right? If you go to their website, kubienergy.ca, you see that picture there in the background. That's the Edmonton Convention Center. That whole thing, that's, it's designed to look like a cascading sort of a waterfall, like a, wa- a water feature right there on the shore of the North Saskatchewan River. That's a solar installation by Kubi Energy. Uh, they do residential projects as well. No job too big or too small. You can get a free quote today at kubienergy.ca. And Sam, could you call up Brad's Boots for me? You know what I'm talking about. We've been we've been telling you about Breathe Outdoors for several weeks now. Super excited about how their rebrand went. You've known them as Campers Village. You've trusted them since the 60s. Well, now they're Breathe Outdoors, bringing you the quality outdoor gear you need no matter what your outdoor pursuit is. And for Brad, a real talker that was boots for work he said i needed these boots for work i'm working outside he said i was amazed to find this pair of breathe outdoors the staff was very helpful pointed me in the right direction for what i needed thanks for all the help that from brett nice kicks pal looking beautiful breathe outdoors has a big sale on right now 40 percent off selected items you can check them out online and of course if you go see them in person let them know that you heard about them on real talk minimum 30 dollars purchase gets you a free ceramic mug at the till from breathe outdoors Well, this is a story that's tough to talk about, and our thoughts are with first responders across the province, across the country, that are mourning the loss of a young man by the name of Mike Hart, who passed away following a cardiac incident while on duty, working as a medic. He was at a hospital facility in the city of Airdrie, just north of Calgary. And as the story goes, an ambulance unavailable to assist in in basic and then advanced life support, Uh, Mike Hart passing away over the weekend. Mike Parker is the president of the union of the health sciences association of alberta representing twenty-eight thousand health professionals in alberta's system mike's also been a first responder since 1992 he's seen it all and we're grateful that he's agreed to join us today Uh, mike on behalf of our team here at real talk and on behalf of the general public we offer our most sincere condolences Uh, this is obviously a a very difficult loss uh, for many different reasons Uh, tell us about mike uh, first, Brian, thanks and, and uh, appreciate being here and your condolences. I hope our members who are listening live right now will will share in, in that. So thank you. Uh, Mike Hart, uh, in, in his, his day of his passing, was working in a facility north of Calgary. We have paramedics stationed across the, con- or the, across the province, Ryan, in all sorts of healthcare facilities that 
provide that backup care, form a cloud right to Peace River. And that's where paramedics uh, provide some of their most uh, amazing skill sets. They are first responders and sometimes patients come to them. And so when you have these, these remote facilities or these out of, out of area facilities, they are the terminal healthcare point for people. Mike Hart and in that shift was the ACLS provider for the community that he was protecting that day. And so in that incident, what we find here, and if I could walk the path of what it was like to be in the boots of the people that were involved in that morning, Saturday morning, uh, to those who were working with Mike, they had a normal shift that night, treating people in the community. And all of a sudden, one of their own stumbles and collapses. And to shift from responding to persons in need to shift to responding to your colleague who is laying there is such an immense emotional shock to the system, but they are professionals and they did what they needed to do. Our communications officers receiving the call that morning saying that we need backup and to the responders who came out of Calgary responding to that call, it might not have been immediately known to them, but as they were traveling up to Airdrie, they would have damn well known that they were heading into one of their own and the longest drive, the longest drive. And so when you think about all of those pieces together and the, the family of Mike Hart, who was then notified following this, it's devastating to the folks who were involved. It's devastating to the community because this conversation has been ongoing. I'm going to suggest, Ryan, for a generation, we've been talking about our ability to respond to the needs of this province. And, and today shines a special light to the eyes of one of our own uh, who, who has passed away. Mike, I'm going to tell you yesterday, just in the course of my day, uh, I was stopped by two people on the street. Uh, one of them a retired firefighter and one of them a, a paramedic uh, in a major Alberta city uh, that has just returned to the job from mental health leave. And both of them had heard that you were going to be on the show today and, and they wanted to talk to me and provide some background and some perspective on the morale of paramedics right now on some of the systemic issues, some perspective on centralized dispatch and the role that it does or does not play in incidents like this on short staffedness on on uh, people leaving early, uh, leaving a career in EMS unforeseen way before they thought they might. And I gleaned some real perspective, some clear perspective on how this young man's death is impacting thousands of people across the province what i think albertans are realizing as well is that this is when those so-called code reds become the biggest possible problem and and an unavailability of ambulances period uh and i know that many people are saying that mike hart's death must not be in vain this must be something that we address in meaningful fashion is this as simple as investing in more ambulances and attracting more people to work as paramedics, or is it bigger than that? Ryan, we need to stop and just touch on the uh, morale side of this piece first. I and, and as you have said that there are people coming to you now on the street saying, listen, there is more to this story. The folks that we entrust to take, keep us safe, Ryan, work in an environment that is the highest stress. They respond to the worst day. And just any, any listener out there, just think of the worst day and what that looks like. And these first responders are heading into those events. They work in an environment where they have a predatory employer who uh, 
who ensures that discipline is enacted for, for uh, these folks. And it is very difficult to work there. Our communication center, our dispatch members that are out there every single day are on the front lines. They are the best of the best. And when you look at this system, they have a full perspective of the province today instead of this broken up piecemeal system that we used to run. There is no way a dispatcher can come up with a ghost ambulance that doesn't exist. There are no ambulances to dispatch anymore out there. We've gone from a thousand calls a day to 1500 calls a day and no resources added. Dispatch is now enacting urgent disconnect. They're hanging up on 911 callers to answer the next 911 call. Imagine being in that position. And that has nothing to do with consolidation. It was probably the best move we ever did. It took 10 friggin' years to get there, which is embarrassing. The morale is in the toilet. Our system is running on code red. And Ryan, when I was first hired into the city of Edmonton in the early 90s, our paramedics wore a t-shirt that said, code red, you're dead. That was how what we wore under our uniforms. So this is not a new conversation, but it is hitting so hard now where our crews are doing the 30 minute, 40 minute, hour response times, lights and sirens. As a paramedic is being dispatched to an event, you heighten your energy level. You move into the fight or flight response. Your adrenaline starts coming up. The calls become more updated, more serious as you're rolling to the events. And instead of a six minute or an eight minute response to get to the people in need, you are driving at that level of intensity for an hour. And when you walk in the door of that house and that person's been laying on the floor for 60 minutes with a busted hip or was chest pain, now cardiac arrest, this is the world they're in. And there is no reason for it. Back in the day, we had enough, just enough paramedics on the street that we could make a seven or eight minute response time. Today, we are sucking in in Edmonton area, the Leducs, the Westlocks, in Calgary area, we're drawing in the Camrose, Cochrane, all the way to Fort McLeod in my hometown of Coaldale, are being sucked into the major centers. This is what it looks like, and it is truly unacceptable. The very last truck in the entire province will be sitting in either Calgary or Edmonton, leaving the entire province exposed. Yeah, to state the obvious, if you're living in Coaldale and your one ambulance or however many you have is in Calgary at the time, you're even more screwed than you would have been anyway <clears throat> that far away from a major hospital. Mike, I want to spend more time talking about the bigger picture here, uh, but sure. I also want to honor Mike Hart. And, 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 I, and I want to ask you just a couple of questions that people have asked me that I don't have answers for. People okay. have said, how can this happen? He was in a hospital when it happened. How can that happen in a hospital? There was a doctor there. There were nurses there. He, he would, have, I, I assume, had his, his partner there. And, and we grieve for the partner. I can't imagine. Lauren is watching us right now, by the way. Lauren is a retired district fire chief in Edmonton. I know him personally. He says, uh, Lauren says, I've been there when a brother goes down and dies. And he says, my thoughts are with EMS and with Mike's family. This is very stressful. Uh, people know that fire is typically first on scene 
on medical calls like this fire will be there in three four five minutes where an ambulance may take longer because they're out roaming or, or, or they're doing triage or whatever it is paramedics stuck in er's and hospitals waiting for patients to be taken in that ambulance is is off call people i think most people know this maybe some don't uh, why would first of all why did a fire truck not respond i would imagine there was a fire unless there were a couple big house fires in airdrie at the time and second of all, is the issue transport? In other words, did they need to get Mike to an intensive, to an ICU or cardiac ICU in Calgary for services that the Airdrie Hospital cannot provide? Can you shed some light into this for us? Ryan, I need to be cautious here because I don't have all of the details. Sure. Higher level conversation and let's see where we land on this. <clears throat> Typically, as this is a healthcare facility, you're not going to dispatch uh, fire services for backup because within this uh, facility, you're gonna have all of the required advanced cardiac life support team there. They have the resources to do the basics of CPR, the advanced airway maneuvers, all of the pharmaceuticals that are required that every paramedic carries in their ambulance is available with practitioners inside that facility. Would transport make a difference? Ryan, I can't answer that. Uh, what I can tell you is that Paramedics don't transport those who are not resuscitated. When someone has passed away and there is no viable life, and I don't know all the details, Ryan, I need to be crystal clear on this. I don't know. And we're going to find out eventually, I'm sure. But the reality is those that needed to be there were there. Their, their partners, there was a physician, I understand. There were nurses. These are all advanced cardiac life support trained personnel with Mike at that moment when he went down. When a paramedic unit who has the same equipment responds to your house as an example for a similar event of cardiac arrest, there are only two of them. And so when they walk in the door, they need additional resources because that cardiac arrest needs to be ventilated and carried out to be secured for transport. If they return spontaneous circulation, ROSC they call it, you'll hear members telling you about if he doesn't have a return of circulation, we don't transport. That is a protocol that paramedics use every single day. And in this case, I don't have a further answer to that. I but think that, is it fair to say, Mike, that the general public, most, most civilians like myself might be surprised at how few people survive uh, with basic life support, things like CPR, without things like intubation, ventilation, adrenaline, et cetera, what they might call advanced life support? Yeah, the, the ACLS component of a life-saving chain starts with CPR as soon as it happens, moves through the advanced cardiac life support transport to facility if you get return of circulation. In this case, it looks like that wasn't the case. Ryan, I got to tell you, for the, for the paramedics that are out there listening, for members that I know, this is the fifth paramedic this year that's passed away. Like, this is, this is, this is why we fight for paramedics to have a safe workplace, to have uh, protections from employers, to have a respectful retirement because they don't make it. That's the reality. Their job is so intense and so high stress. And again, this isn't you walking into a hospital. This is an entire hospital on the back of a paramedic walking in your front door is how these folks operate. And you need the additional resources at times. You stated earlier that a fire truck is usually the first one in. I would ask you to ask the question, why? Why is a fire truck available and there's not a single paramedic unit 
in the entire city population, 1.25 million. That's a problem. I want to get to a couple of tweets here. This uh, first from an Airdrie counselor. Uh, She tweeted uh, just hours after this tragedy. Heather Spearman did. She says this is an immense tragedy. My heart breaks for his loved ones, to his colleagues and to those who work to save him. Uh, I'm lifting you up in my thoughts and I'm grateful to you for your tireless efforts, said Counselor Spearman. I am so sorry for your loss. This tweet had people talking, Mike, and it's since been deleted from Alberta Health Services. The second one I'm going to read. This was in the hours to follow. Alberta Health Services from the official verified account said this is a tragic situation. Our thoughts are with the family and the loved ones of our colleague. A shortage of resources did not play a factor in the care and treatment our colleague received. Your thoughts on that? Well, I think, Ron, we talked a bit earlier about the type of employer that these folks operate under the most intense circumstance with. That shows you how, I'll leave you for explicit this morning, it is close to Christmas, how tone deaf this bloody employer truly is. These folks are just learning the impact of losing one of their own. And they choose to take it to a level that is so, Ryan, back me up here on this one, because I'm, I'm not going to walk that path. Well, this is let me give you let me let me let me let me circle back on it. You described yeah. the you described the employer previously as predatory. Uh, and, and you're talking about Alberta Health Services vis-a-vis the Alberta government. I mean, is that can you, if you want to talk about predatory, uh, people will tell you, I think the average Albertan that they're anticipating some labor disputes uh, coming up in the next while as this government, I think, tries to answer to fiscal pressures and unions fight for their own, including nurses and teachers and paramedics and and what have you. Where do you see evidence? I mean, for the average person that doesn't know the ins and the outs of it, predatory is, uh, I mean, you're the president of the union. You're saying it on a show. Thousands of people are going to hear it. What do you mean? I'm talking about at the level of management of AHS, EMS, and down. When you, and, and the tweet shines a pure light on how bad this really is. Uh, the, the actions of disciplinary against our members on a regular basis is nonstop. There is no leadership. There is purely management of these folks who are exhausted. They're frustrated. They can't get to the calls when people are dialing 911, right? And yet, we see this kind of comment come out there. You want to talk about bargaining? We can, we can find another day for that one. This, this is not that. We have been sounding the alarm for months on the desperate circumstances our paramedics are in. They are at risk. They are trying to protect the public by raising the alarm and saying there's a problem here. And yet, well, and you want to know why you don't see a name on any of the posts that we put out? I will tell you damn straight that if the employer knew who the people were that were providing us information, they would no longer be available for service in this province. And that's just the way it is out there. Hmm. We are heading to the fifth wave. We are being forced mandatory overtime across the healthcare system. There is time off being denied to those that realize I just can't come back for another day. Denied. This is the circumstance they find themselves in. And yet in the face of being redeployed, They show up every single day to do the job. 
Mike, you made a comment earlier. I want to clarify. You said it took us 10 years to get there, but it was one of the best moves we ever made. Are you talking about centralized dispatch? I'm getting really mixed messages from people. I get so many off the record and confidential notes from people that are working as first responders or working on the flip side that are saying this. I I mean, they're, they're saying this is all politics, but then I'm seeing, you know, the mayors in Calgary. I'm seeing mayors in Fort McMurray saying they want to get off this centralized dispatch. What role does this play? What's the official position of the union representing 28,000 healthcare professionals in Alberta. I'm going to tell you on the official position, and then I'm going to give you a personal perspective sure. from the front lines. Okay. Officially, uh, these union members are on the front lines. They are the lowest paid dispatchers in the province. PS Ryan, let's, let's get that out there. And they are doing everything that needs to be done. And they've been doing it for a long time. The dispatch center that operates in Edmonton has been there for a long time. Prior to that, it was a larger center up north at the, the North Communication Center. This is not new stuff. What is new is taking it out of the city of Calgary or the city of Fort McMurray or Lethbridge. Chase the money, Ryan. You want my opinion personally? Chase the money. How many dollars were paid to the city of Calgary to operate and contract? How many dollars were paid to Fort McMurray to contract dispatch centers? What we have today is a provincial dispatch model that sees every single ambulance, although there are none on the screen at times. So you tell me what a dispatch communications officer is supposed to do when there's a 911 cardiac arrest, the nearest truck is 45 kilometers away. That's what they're facing. So don't blame the dispatch on the front lines. The issue here is we have no paramedics out there to do the job. And the dollars is what what talks about when a city councilor screaming out, you want to talk politics, that's where my opinion is that it sits. Okay, because this is significant because I've had people on this show say to me that the central dispatch means that it's not somebody local. It means that ambulances can be getting uh, poor or inaccurate directions to go to places. They're getting all screwed up and turned around. And here you are representing the paramedics saying, Essentially, that's not true, uh, which is pretty interesting, I think, for members of the general public, including myself. Ryan, I'm going to tell you this. Paramedics have been getting screwed up on bad information for, a, for their lifetime. Okay. Talking to someone on a phone, you can't figure out where they are, what they look like. You are doing a, a, a system that tries to track GPS today, tries to figure out to the best of the ability on a phone what's going on there. There is never full details. Never. Hell, ours. We've been dispatching from centralized for their entire existence here. Like this is nothing new. The GPS systems that we work with, we know exactly where the ambulance is and we know where the caller is coming from if they have a coordination. That's what we know. And we can get the ambulance to the caller. What happens from there is the skill set of the paramedic going forward. Mike, with regards to and I gosh, we're going to we're going to leave a lot of questions on the table here. This will obviously be an ongoing conversation. But Les makes a good point in our live chat. Uh, It wants me to ask you about the opioid crisis. And I know that I've heard from the fire side. um, Some firemen have told me that they'll respond to 10 overdoses in one shift, uh, which is mind boggling, said that oftentimes they'll see two pumps, uh, two fire trucks on opposite sides of the street working two different patients uh, with naloxone or what have you. How is that impacting uh, the quality of care, ambulance availability, stress on paramedics, et cetera, in Alberta right now? When you look at the death rates, Ryan, that are coming out, the, the numbers this year exceed last. We've closed down safe consumption sites in this province. You can cite that to a 
government policy. These folks are out there with a toxic substance that is killing them. And it is not the inner city. It is provincial. It is demographics regardless of your income. It is significant. It is the secondary pandemic that we haven't talked about and is still killing Albertans today. Does it impact our call volume? Hell yes, it does. So does COVID. So does everything else in this world. And an emergency system that was built to handle this stuff wouldn't have a problem dealing with that level of call volume, Ryan. When you go to code red, we've talked about this, when you go to code red, that means something so severe, like tornado 1987, pretty friggin' big deal. That put us on code red. We are doing that level of cold red every single day in this province. So don't tell me that it's cold weather, smoky skies. Yes, these things have an impact, but if you were a true leader in AHSEMS, you would be staffing to the level that is appropriate to respond to the needs of this province. What does an ambulance cost? God only knows. I gotta tell you. Four hundred grand, something like three, four hundred grand. Ish. This isn't about this isn't about buying a vehicle. We but, can buy a bunch of vehicles. Well, no, but I think that members of the public would want to know if you could buy, if you could, if you could pay for 30 more ambulances across the province and hire 75 or 100 more paramedics, if that would address this and we could put a dollar. Members of the public like me, we think of things okay. in dollar amounts, right? When, when, okay. when, when 250 million is cut from post-secondary, we can put that into dollars and cents of tuition and how many students that impacts and it helps us understand it. Perfect. So we're talking roughly in the neighborhood to operate 24-7, 365, about a million bucks per truck. Okay. That's Annu- about what annually. We're looking at here. Annually. Annually. Yeah. That's about what it looks like because the number of staff on there, the vehicle, the maintenance, and all that stuff. Sure. So that's about what you're looking at. Would 30 be the answer? Here's the here's the biggest crux in all of this, right? I don't know. Because they've stopped adding resources since 2009. We don't have any additional resources on the street today. So God only knows what it costs today. You got to try and work it out. When city of Edmonton flushed paramedics off onto Alberta Health Services, they found 25 million in their budget. It so happens we had 25 trucks at that time. That's what I've got for you. I don't know. We got a budget of 400 million and I have no idea where that money is being spent. Okay, uh, we've, we've got our, our bullpens full right now. We've got a, a roundtable, and I know you've got a lot to handle, a lot on your plate right, your plate right now, Mike. I want to ask you two questions. <laughs> this one might be a huge one, but if you could just touch on it, does policy need to change? I mean, there's one thing where we say we need to invest in more ambulances. We need to hire more paramedics. We need to be better staffed. There's also, I, I think, probably the, the, the other potential solution or maybe a way to address this, which would be more nurses uh, available for triage, more people in ER, in hospitals I, I i've been in hospital we were in hospital three weeks ago for uh, received excellent care by the way but we were in we were in the i'm seeing paramedics just st- sitting there in the hallways not being lazy they're they're sitting there with their patients waiting for for hours there's a whole the the, the, the whole garage the drive up to the er there's like four ambulances just sitting in there the paramedics yep. are all just sitting in there waiting for these pay you know for these patients to for the care to transition isn't that another way to manage this Ryan, it is another part of this conversation for sure. You stopped investing in paramedics. You didn't add any more units to the road, boots on the ground. While we had a population growth, while we had call volume increases, you did nothing as an employer. Ryan, since the 1990s, we have less hospital facilities than we did in the 90s today. So yes, our entire system is taxed. They're choosing to use all of these other pieces as this is the problem. They tried 150 different 
opportunities to get paramedics back on the street. Zero. Zero. Have so I'll tell you what, what I know is there's not enough paramedics on the street. Whatever the hell's going on in those hospitals right now, again, I'm going to step right into it. It's a government policy that needs to be understood. If we don't invest in our healthcare system, this is what it looks like. Hmm. And right now, we're in the middle of privatizing a whole bunch of the folks that did all the lab testing for us. They work in labs across this province, which means we will have no longer have control over volumes that they test every single day. And guess what? We're in a pandemic for we can feel that we we can feel the emotion, Mike. It's understandable. Um, finally, I just need some clarification here as, as members of the public. Oftentimes we have information that becomes available to us on social media platforms and otherwise. And I need to know who the people are behind the accounts. So here you are. You're the president of HSAA, the Health Sciences Association of Alberta. You're the president of the union representing 28,000 healthcare workers. Who are these guys? The Alberta EMS Advisory and Advocacy Coalition. It sounds like an official title, but I'm getting a whole bunch of private messages from people that are saying, beware of these folks. What's the deal with this account? Who are these people? I'm going to have to speculate. They are not us. Okay. They are my voice. They are not my direction. They are not the union's voice. What are they exactly? I'm concerned because out there people have a solution to all of this to say, well, I could just get a pickup truck with a camper on the back and be a transport vehicle to solve all these problems. We tried using taxis in the past and people died in the back of the taxi. And I got to go back to the nineties when that was, when this was going on. So let's be clear. What I will always advocate for is our frontline professionals are the ones that are trained. They are the experts in healthcare. Do not sell out this profession trying to make a buck off of a private industry. Nobody should be making profit over patient care. Okay. Mike Parker is president of the Health Sciences Association of Alberta. I really appreciate not just your availability, Mike, but your candor. And I want to refocus this. I want to go out with a, a shot of a, a I mean, it's a it's a tragic and beautiful painting at the same time. I encourage people to follow Danson Photo Art on Instagram. I first met this guy. I was hosting a conference, Alberta Emergency Management Association. Sam, it's the painting I sent you earlier this morning. You showed it to me. I know you have it. The guy, you know, it's it's a painting of Mike Hart. Um, and uh, Dan does these incredible paintings. Unfortunately, it's heavy subject matter. It's it's first responders, including members of Canada's military, oftentimes that have perished and, and sometimes in the line of duty like Mike. Um, it's a beautiful image with those wings on his shoulder, but it's obviously so incredibly sad. Uh, we recognize and honor Mike Hart today and moving forward. We remember his service to the public. And Mike, we mourn along with you and your members. Thanks for doing this. Uh, if I could just say that, uh, Ryan, a lot of our members are listening live right now. So a shout out to every member on the front line over the holiday season. It's going to be a tough one. Take care of each other. And to uh, one special member named Donna, who's out there listening. She's your number one fan, by the way, Ryan. And uh, thank you for having an interest. God rest, uh, Mike, and God save all of those paramedics on the front line. Thank you. Thanks, Mike. That's Mike Parker from the Health Sciences Association of Alberta. You can let us know what you think about what you've just heard. I know there's a lot to process. Uh, we're getting a lot of messages from people uh, that are working uh, as paramedics in the province and sharing many thoughts with us about the structure of management and how hiring is working and their concerns seeing people leave early. And they're concerned about where these salary negotiations are going to go. And, and there's a lot of talk about rot. 
And uh, I think that that was a real perspective check that Mike provided for us there. It's obviously the union's perspective, and we will endeavor to continue to bring you other angles of the stories that matter. I mean, what what matters to Mike Hart's family is that Mike is not going to be here for Christmas, for the holidays, uh, died as a young man. Uh, you know, just a few years past his 40th birthday serving Albertans. Uh, I did want to point out, I was grateful for Marie's comment. She said, Ryan, he passed away at an urgent care center in Airdrie. She said that's different than a hospital. Said that they don't have all the same resources, which was maybe part of the problem. And I appreciated Mike sharing with us uh, why uh, a fire truck would not have necessarily made a difference in that circumstance and why one was not dispatched to the hospital. So if you were tuned in late, I know that some of you were joining us tuning in streaming live on the Mixler audio app as you make your way around the city or you're you're in transit as part of your holiday plans. We appreciate you making Real Talk part of your mornings. I want to remind you right now that uh, Athabasca University is Canada's online university. And, and January is a big month for them because this is when a lot of us are going to start thinking about you know bettering ourselves, learning something new, turning over a new leaf. Maybe even a formal New Year's resolution. If that's part of your plan for 2022, why not make Athabasca University part of it? You can browse their programs and courses online at AthabascaU.ca. You can let them know what you're interested in. There's great drop-down menus. Maybe you want to get an undergraduate degree. Maybe you want to drop in on that Power Ed program and take a free course. And then you can talk about the types of programs like, look at this, maybe a Bachelor of Commerce. Maybe you want to go into business. You click Show Me the Programs. And in just one second, you've got a ton of options on how you can start getting into the next stage of your life with Athabasca U. Learn at your own pace, at your convenience with Canada's online university. A big shout out to a real talker by the name of Corinne Wyma this morning. Check this out. She tweeted at us just a couple of days ago. She says, I picked up a brand spanking new Dodge Durango from St. Albert Dodge. Obviously, she says I had to slap a real talk sticker on there. Corinne says, I love listening to and supporting real talk. Thanks for keeping it real and addressing the issues that matter most. First of all, look at this whip. This Durango, what an absolutely beautiful rig. I love that color. I don't know what you call that green. Green is underrated. What is that? What would that green be? Is that like a... I'd call it like an electric green. It's kind of like something. an electric yeah. green. I like that. Electric green, and then she's got her blacked out rims. Absolutely sick whip, as the kids would say. And then check this out on her back window. She's got the Real Talk vinyl stickers. I like she double stacked our logo and our hashtag. The double stack on the Durango. It's a uh, no. I'm gonna make it. I was gonna make it the double D on reference. Never mind. Pierre Maguire. This would be the double Durango. Those of you hockey fans. Uh, Corinne, love it. Thanks for supporting St. Albert Dodge with your purchase. Sherwood Dodge, of course, as well. You can shop both their inventories online right now via the Sponsors tab on our website. And we also wanted to take a second to mention as well our friends at Friesen Brothers. You know, I got to tell you, the outpouring of interest in their take-home dinner boxes has been so huge that they are officially sold out at their South Edmonton Rabbit Hill location as well well as their Stony Plain location. But you can still order a pickup Christmas dinner box in Fort Saskatchewan, and it's a stunning Friesen Brothers store out there in Fort Saskatchewan, by the way. They've also got a lot of gift ideas, plenty of gift boxes, and a limited number of those pink pineapples I was telling you about. The coolest fruit I've ever seen. More of them coming in this week. You can order all of this online at Friesen.com. Well, I'm really looking forward to this next conversation. Uh, we're calling it our Faith Leaders Roundtable, but, but uh, you know, don't worry. I was going to say they're not going to try to convert you, but maybe they will. They'll do it subtly. 
I consider these people friends of mine. We wanted to bring folks together from different traditions to, to gather and to reflect on the year that was, to, to talk to us about their traditions through the holiday season, and just kind of, I guess, in, in a way, to provide some insight into the things that we care about things items of everyday life and it's such a pleasure to welcome to the program Noor El Hennedy who's the public relations director communications director at the Canadian Islamic Center at Al Rashid Mosque the Reverend Michael Corin you know him the author of the rebel Christ he was here to talk about his book when it came out back in October an Anglican priest he's written 17 books by the way you've probably read his columns in the star and the globe and a whole bunch of other publications in Canada and the UK and of course he's been a long time broadcaster and the mediums of television and radio and i'm so excited to reconnect with rabbi khalil rose we were so thrilled when he came to edmonton and of course uh has since taken an opportunity to take his family back to winnipeg where i know he's uh born in israel but grew up in winnipeg um and and is thrilled to be back at home in manitoba with his family and and rabbi you've, you've got a new uh, uh, uh congregation now in, in winnipeg i know edmonton was sorry to to see you go but congratulations on the new opportunity it's nice to see your face again how are things working out in winnipeg Oh, thank God. And it's great to see you again, Ryan. Uh, I'm so appreciative of this invitation and this opportunity to dialogue with some wonderful people. This was actually, I'm going to give Michael, I'll give Reverend Corin the credit for this. Uh, Michael, this whole thing was your idea. I loved it. And, and I, don't know if, I don't know if you reaching out to us was prompted uh, by this tweet from Mohammed Safa. You can correct me if it wasn't. Uh, but this was one that a lot of people were paying attention to. And when he said a reporter asked me, why do I wish people happy holidays? And Mohammed said, because from the 1st of November to the 15th of January, there's like 29 holidays observed by seven of the world's major religions. And I don't think that mine are the only ones that count. You sent us a message along similar lines, Michael. What prompted you to reach out? Um, well, I'm not sure if I did, because I, I, I reject what he said. I, I think uh, with all due respect, it's a bit reductive. And uh, I don't think it gives enough credit to, to, to people's humanity. I wish people Merry Christmas. That's not meant to be exclusive in any way. It's not saying that other people don't matter. I wasn't, I wasn't raised in a Christian home. It, it, um, my celebration at this time is Christmas. And, and golly, it, it's a profoundly different festival from, say, Hanukkah. Uh, very different, very different tradition. And, and so uh, for a Jewish person to, to refer to their faith tradition and for a Muslim to do the same, that's all okay. But I think happy holiday is, is to secularize the religious, and I don't agree with that. I agree with mutual respect and understanding and empathy, but that's something different. That, and that, I think that's more difficult to aspire to. So rather, I, as I say, I'd rather be precise about what you actually believe while simultaneously respecting intensely other people's beliefs or lack of Okay, I, I fact-checked. I, I went back, and when you reached out to me to, to get technical, you said to me, we've got to talk about the fact that there isn't a war on Christmas. That was what you reached out to say. So we'll get yeah. into that in just a second, but let me officially welcome Nor. Welcome to the show. Thanks for being here. Well, what do you make of that whole premise, that whole idea of happy holidays as opposed to a, a Merry Christmas or a Happy Hanukkah or whatever your tradition may be? What do you say to people through the month of December and into January? We definitely do. Well, thank you for, uh, first of all, for having me on your show. Um, we do generally use happy holidays as a term to um, um, just um, greet others and well, like just basically bring them a little bit in their celebration. And that just goes back to more of um, a religious belief. A lot of community members don't really exactly go into in-depth research, try to find out 
why each um, religious group is celebrating something in particular. So um, happy holidays generally just covers the whole spectrum. Um, it is the more common used word within our community. That is true. How about you, Rabbi? Uh, do, you, do you automatically, I mean, your tradition obviously would be to recognize and celebrate Hanukkah. Uh, would you wish people on the street a happy Hanukkah? Do you say happy holidays? Do you say Merry Christmas? What do you say? Yeah, I, I have to say I'm a bit torn. Uh, you know, Hanukkah ended uh, a while ago. And uh, so I don't, ordinarily, I wouldn't say to somebody who's Christian or Muslim or any other faith tradition, happy Hanukkah. But if they initiate that greeting um, and offer that to me, I wish it back to them. Um, and then I find myself, you know, just adding a little uh, addendum saying, what if that's not the holiday you celebrate, I, I wish you a happy holidays. Because, uh, yeah, I am trying to find some sort of generic term that would honor that individual. I think it's going to depend on who I'm speaking to. Uh, and I, I must tell you, I, I grew up in Winnipeg for, for all of my, my childhood uh, it was always a little strange when people wished me a Merry Christmas. I, di- I didn't take offense to it, but I wasn't quite sure how to receive it. It, it felt as if, you know, it was a blanket statement that it, the assumption that was being made by that individual offering this greeting, you know, with only good intentions, was that I, I too am a Christian. And that's, uh, that's not the case. It's not a holiday I celebrate, but I, I have absolute respect for people who do. Hmm. And, and, and how could someone not respect your position? I mean, it's, it's, it's logical. It's rational. It makes sense. It's a very personal thing. Maybe. And, and let me just open the door to this and Reverend Corn will, will, will throw the hot potato to you, but, but maybe it, it, to some people it's, it's the theory and, and, and in comes the, the, the dialogue or, or perhaps the lamentations around a war on Christmas, but that the majority of people, perhaps, or at least a significant number of people would not see Christmas as a so-called Christian holiday. Though, of course, that's where the roots are. They would say Christmas for us is a winter festival. It's Santa Claus. It's holiday parties. It's people gathering. It's a cultural expression as opposed to a religious one. I'm not saying this is my personal belief, but but Michael, that would prompt, of course, cries of war on Christmas, wouldn't they? Well, I mean, War on Christmas is a very specifically conservative approach to this. I don't want to be party political, but there is no war on Christmas. Society changes, culture changes. And when there was a time when churches were full uh, every Sunday, I'm from the Anglican tradition in the Church of England. If you weren't in, in church on a Sunday, people would ask questions when you went to work on Monday. Those times, thank goodness, are long gone. But there's no war on Christmas as such. I mean, that's a sort of Fox News approach to the secular world, Christians are persecuted. Look, Christians are persecuted in parts of the world, but not in North America, believe me, and not in Western Europe. That, that's a, that's a, it's a horrible thing to say because it, it devalues genuine persecution and the horror of what that, that really is. So there's no war on Christmas. It's just that people's attitudes change. Uh, there are fewer specifically Christmas cards around anymore. Big deal. I mean, does it really matter? You can still buy them. Uh, we do have separation of church and state effectively. It's not in a constitution, but we do have. So... If there's not a Christmas tree in, in, a, in a town square, doesn't bother me particularly. I mean, we all know that the Christmas tree is not specifically Christian. Um, it, the birth didn't happen in December. It may not even have been in Bethlehem. We're not even sure. For me, the importance is not actually where it happened or when it happened, but that it happened. But I do believe there's a war on Christmas values, the, the, the values of Christianity, of justice and love and equality and inclusion. And that's the war 
on Christmas, if you like. But ironically, the people who moan on about the war on Christmas tend to be the very people who are fighting those virtues that are specifically Christian. Hmm. Noor, what do you make of what Michael just said? Well, I think the, the values you talked about are common values within among any religion, really. I've I've spent a lot of my career working with reverends like you and with rabbis. And I'm doing a lot of interface circles. And what we find out almost every single time is we do share the majority of the values. We are more alike than we are different. Yes. Um, so if it's if there's an attack on these values, it's really attack on values of humanity. I wouldn't think it's values of Christianity in particular or of Christmas. Um, but these are values that we do share as numbers of faith societies. And I think as humanity as an overall share. Yeah, to a degree. I mean, not all of them. I think there are specific differences between religions. But I agree with you that what uh, unites most people of faith is far more important and larger and wider than what divides them. Uh, Rabbi, what do you think of what the Reverend was saying earlier? I think what Reverend Corn is saying makes tremendous sense, uh, and so I'm uh, <laughs> I'm not a proponent of the war on Christmas, as far as he defined it, and I understand uh, the definition he's using. Uh, but I also want to just reiterate a point that I think I tried to make earlier, which is when someone wishes me a, a Merry Christmas, it connotes a certain bias uh, about who they are. Uh, it connotes a, a world view that the, that others are in exactly that same hom homogeneous dominant faith tradition within our society. And so I think there's a valuable lesson that needs to be learned by all of us, not just Christians, but every one of us about making certain assumptions about other individuals, especially at this time, and I think this, you know, serves as something of a microcosm of how we we see others. Um, there's a I, his name is escaping me, but there's a local psychologist here in Winnipeg who is um, happens to be a Muslim himself, but he is doing all sorts of really interesting things about testing people's biases, um, especially as it connects to this particular holiday season. And one of the things he posits is, is an exercise. Imagine that the dominant faith tradition is Islam. What would it be like for if someone wished you a, um, uh, help me out, Noor, but- uh, Eid Mubarak uh, or Ramadan Eid Mubarak, Kareem. right. And, and how, uh, as, as someone who's not part of the Muslim tradition, how would that, how would you relate to that? Uh, would that be a little bit off-putting? Um, and so I think those are, you know, going beyond like the surface level conversation and really getting into the heart of this. I think that's, I know that's what you're about, Ryan. Um, you know, yeah, sure, these are sound bites, but I think if we're really going to uh, grapple with these issues, I think we need to be, we need to recognize some of what's been established in a colonized uh, country such as ours. And uh, so I think these are really important, valuable questions that need to be raised. Are we going to, I don't know that we're going to answer all of them, but I'd like to, I'd like to go, you know, penetrate beyond the surface and go more to the heart of things. You want, you want some real talk, Rabbi? You got it. Oh, I like that title. I honestly don't believe that wishing someone Merry Christmas is going to cause such angst. And I think we can over, we can overthink this. And it is also generational because I grew up in a non-Christian culture in Britain where, and until I suppose 20 odd years ago, Merry Christmas was pretty standard. 
I'm not sure if it really uh, ruined people's lives when they were wish Merry Christmas. But Michael, but he's telling uh, Rabbi's telling you about his experience. He's telling you yeah, how it makes it, him uh, feel. Of course, and that's to be valued. Um, but it doesn't only apply to. I mean, I don't want to get into geopolitics, but you know, there there are countries where certain religions are dominant, and, and minority religions are not treated with any respect at all, or with limited respect, I should say. Thank goodness we live in a country where, generally speaking, I mean, th there are certainly there are examples of anti-Semitism and Islamophobia. Really, are Christians facing any sort of persecution? But I think that goes far beyond um, a, a simple phrase used at a particular time of year. They're, they're deeper issues. They're issues of of, of understanding and, and empathy and, and education about what people really believe. This is uh, uh, and by the way, Rabbi, how do I pronounce? Is it Congregation Etz? Is it Chaim or Chaim? How do you pronounce it? Uh, the first time around was was correct. Etz Chaim, which which actually means a tree of life. Yeah. Oh, it's a beautiful name, the Tree of Life. Um, Noor, I wanted to put this in front of you first, a, a, an insightful comment from Fatima, who's watching us live. She says, what's interesting to me is that some faith communities are fighting terminology and other faith communities are fighting for their holidays to even be recognized at all, uh, which is pretty interesting insight. You want to pick up on that? It is a pretty interesting insight, and that is something that's been a conversation, particularly in the Muslim community for a while now especially within our school system. Our children are celebrating Christmas to the full. They have the winter break off. They're doing all of the activities that really embraces Christmas in one way or another. But for example, when Ramadan and Eid come, it's kind of just passes by like it's nothing, right? Most of our children even go to school during these times. And I think that the same goes for the Jewish holidays as well. Um, there's a huge lack of representation of other faith holidays within our education system, while it fully embraces um, the, I would say, the Christian uh, aspect of the holidays, which is not something that anybody is against. I think a lot of, including my own children, they really do enjoy the festivities and the activities. But at the same time, as parents, we would like to have our own activities embraced as well, our own. And I think a part of it, too, is education. You kind of touched a little bit, Reverend, about Islamophobia and anti-Semitism. But these are huge problems. We've seen families lose their lives just this year because of Islamophobia. That struck us really, really hard, and it wasn't something easy to deal with. And if we, we fail to educate our young ones, if we fail to introduce, if we don't, Islam is all about as a religion, what Judaism is all about as a religion, and all the other religions, I'm not just specifically pointing out at these two, then um, children at schools are growing up with just one um, one perspective only. And then when you go, of course, when they grow up and they go online and find all of the misinformation that is there instead of listening from their educators, they are very easily convinced that these people are bad, like the, Jews, the Jewish community is a bad community because they did this and that or the Muslims, because of things that majority of the time ha are happening overseas. They really have nothing to do with our Canadian society. Um, and we arrived to where we are today in, in the past, I think, one year. Over eight black Muslim women were attacked simply for wearing their hijab. We lost a whole family in London, Ontario, and we're still not talking about it. I, I agree. I mean, I w one thing I would disagree, I don't think children are learning about Christianity. I don't think they're learning in any religion at all. Uh, I mean, they have holidays at Christmas and Easter, but that's just the culture of the nation because it was founded, uh, well, colonized under Christianity. Those times are taken off. But I can tell you 
from my experience, which is when you speak to young people about Christianity, they have no idea most. You are them. right, Reverend. They're not studying about Christianity, but these are holidays that are linked to the Christian faith. Oh, for sure. Yeah, you look at yeah. our you look at our stat holidays across the country. You know, I, I, I can't say the majority of them, but. But, you know, at, at first impression, they would reflect the Christian traditions oh, yeah. as opposed to Muslim or Jewish or Hindu or otherwise. Right. Oh, without doubt. Yeah. Yeah. Very, very uh, um, I want to. And, and, and by the way, Noor, I, no, let's just go there right now, because uh, you, you talked about these horrific tragedies of family. I don't even you know, I was going to say, gosh, I mean, they were murdered. I was going to say mowed down. It's, they, yeah. that, that's what happened. Uh, they were murdered, killed in cold blood while out for a walk. Women have been uh, hijabi women in particular subjected to, to violent attacks, including in our home city on multiple occasions here in Edmonton uh, and then there's bill 21 in Quebec um, a, a hijabi teacher removed from a classroom outside Ottawa just a short time ago that's when bill 21 became real um, and 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 rabbi I want to pick your brain on this as well because I, I, in theory it could happen to for example a Hasidic Jew as well or or Michael I guess in a way oh. anybody wearing a crucifix or a collar but I really it. I think nor it's fair to say that this is perceived as Islamophobic over anything else um, I'm not gonna ask you how you feel about bill 21 because I'm quite certain I know but how do you feel about the response from the Canadian public um, including some some city councils that are taking this on in Calgary and other cities. I think the Canadian public has always been very supportive just within the scope of work that I've done within the Arashid Mosque. And it's important to know that it, I, I think a lot of people get shocked when they learn this. Um, Edmonton has Canada's first mosque. Arashid Mosque was built in 1938. It is Canada's oldest mosque. So that does say a lot about the dynamic of the community that we have here. And we've always had, even when bad things happen, the majority of the community does stand up, does come into support. I think the bigger issue here is the people who are the decision makers, the government officials on all three levels of government that could possibly make a push are not really doing much and are um, because of the way that our country is structured between provincial government and federal government and whatnot and all what goes into that polit political atmosphere. Um, it feels like we are a little bit crippled and um, are unable to fight a bill that it, clearly even in Quebec itself. Um, I, if you recall when, that, I, I believe her name was Miss Fatima, when she had to leave her job because of Bill 21, even parents at the school were outraged. They were like, what are you doing? Let's yeah. bring her back. We are completely against it. But for some reason, the officials that are sitting there and making the decisions are not listening to anybody. And whoever may or may not have the power to pressuring them is saying, oh, we're staying out of this. This is not within our jurisdiction. Rabbi, what's in your mind or in your uh, understanding, what's an appropriate response from the Canadian public? Or have, have you spoken with colleagues of yours in the province of Quebec? I haven't spoken recently with uh, colleagues in Quebec, uh, but I think it's abhorrent. Uh, I, I, you know, intellectually, I can understand the desire to have a secular country. I think there should be a clear separation between church and state. But I think that shouldn't come at the expense of one's uh, individual expression vis-a-vis uh, -vis wearing uh, some sort of religious symbol. So, uh, Ryan, I just want to you know, correct you here. It's not a matter of being a Hasidic Jew or an ultra-Orthodox Jew. Um, but someone like me, if I were to wear this, this kind of kippah, yeah. I would be uh, 
prohibited or prevented from uh, teaching in that same school. Sure, and I was just—I uh, wanted to provide just one quick example. It could be a sick man wearing a turban. It could be—it right. it could be any number of, of religious expressions, right? Yeah, I, I mean, if, you, if you're asking what I'd like to see as far as a response from the general Canadian population, I'd like to see people up in arms. Uh, I, I think they're—you know—this isn't just about being a Muslim or being a Jew. Right or or an Anglican minister wearing a white collar, it's uh, it's a, it's really gets to the core of what we're at. We're all addressing here. I think we're in agreement about this. Um, this is about the fundamental respect for each individual, and in our traditions, in our three traditions, we see each individual as being created in the image of the divine. So why would we ever ask somebody to give up something that is so very personal and so um, serves as a, a as a source of inspiration for them. Um, I don't think when someone wears a hijab, she is trying to proselytize or, uh, you know, sway somebody to become a Muslim. That's not, I don't think that's the objective. Just as when I'm wearing my kippah, I'm not looking, I'm not looking for, uh, to be seen. I'm, I'm, this is really about my internal uh, connection to the divine. That's, yeah. that's really what it's about. Uh, Reverend, I, I know you, you'll have an opinion on this. How, what do you think is the appropriate action to be taken or what action can be taken? How are you wrapping your mind around what you're seeing in Quebec? I, I wrote a column in McLean's two years ago of, about this bill, and I, I, I predicted what would happen, and it's no surprise to me, and I'm appalled at the cowardice of all of our federal leaders. I mean, that, that's, that, let's be direct here. This is, uh, this is Islamophobia. This is not because a, a party in, in power in Quebec said, let's target the Jewish community or the Christian community or anybody else. They knew there were votes, there was support, because Islamophobia is a reality. And we can't deny that. And if you, everything that's been shown in, in Quebec, it, it's a little worse there than other parts of the country. And let's not pretend this, the government in Quebec is unpopular. They're not unpopular. And we know why... That our government federally has not intervened because they're very frightened of losing support in Quebec. The Conservative Party has not said very much at all because, with all due respect, in, within their base, there are people who support that bill and will probably like to see it replicated on a federal level. And it comes down to a, a fear and prejudice against, obviously, evidently, Muslim people. I would say particularly Muslim women uh, and misogyny is involved as well. So there are lots of very dark issues mingling around in this, and it shows the worst of Canada. I think Canada is a wonderful nation that, that has much to teach the world, but in some areas, and this does come, there is this French notion of secularism. And although Quebec has abandoned its links to France long ago, even if, if they were ever there, if you travel to France, unlike other parts of Europe, there's this notion that the religion has to be removed from anything concerned with the state. And that's happening in Quebec. And I think, I mean, I, I'm actually deeply shocked at the lack of response. I know many people, perhaps most people are appalled by it, but those with power and influence are, are remaining horribly and, and frighteningly silent on this. Uh, I want to ask all three of you this this next question, and 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 I'll, I'll leave it vague and broad and general for you to take it as you like, Rabbi. Uh, to you first, uh, it's been a stressful couple of years, and and different faith communities have responded in different ways. Uh, some have gone completely virtual. Uh, some have gathered uh, continuously in defiance of public health orders. Um, some have shut down completely. I know that some people have found faith over the past couple of years. Some people have certainly walked away from faith. Over 
over the past couple of years. How is your congregation even how are you processing what you've experienced over the past couple of years? And, and what are you seeing with your with your faithful? Yeah, I appreciate the question, uh, Ryan. You know, just on a very personal level, it's been uh, there have been trials and tribulations, uh, and I have found support in in my colleagues and in the, the members of my congregation, of course, my family. Uh, but it's been uh, it's certainly been a struggle. There's no way of getting around that, uh, and I think the same would be should be said can be said for my congregation. Uh, in some ways, it's really strengthened us as a, as a congregation, as a community. Uh, although I think we're all a little bit tired. <laughs> That's putting it mildly. <laughs> we're getting, you know, I, I'm grateful to see all of you, but uh, I, I, you know, I wish it was in person. I, I wish there was some other direct way of, of being connected um, in that very humane way. Uh, so we, we've seen a mix, uh, but I'm really... I'm proud to say that our congregation has really, I know this is an overused ter- term, but we've really learned how to pivot and how to not just pivot for the moment, but to pivot and try to, to release really uh, strengthen our, our, our core faith beliefs. And uh, that's, that's come as a result of people willing to take risks and trying to do new things, which as a human being does not always come easily. Yeah. To say the least, uh, Noor, what what have you seen among the community? Uh, not just at Al Rashid Mosque, but 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 even your your personal perspective on on this. What is what has the last year meant, and what have you seen around you? Um, I think last year has hit um, a lot of our community members, whether Muslim or non-Muslim, on a mental health basis. Mm-hmm. Um, the isolation, not being able to gather together, the constant changing of rules and regulations, um, having to you have to go get your vaccine and then no, you don't. And then no, the schools are open and then you put your mask and then you, it's just been a lot for a lot of community members. Um, I think within specifically more of our congregation, we tried our best to move a lot of our services online, but within the Muslim faith, we do have to gather to pray. It's a mandatory thing for our prayer. And, and it's huge, Noor. I mean, the commitment, it's a very significant commitment. Very, yes. And um, like in a normal day, just the one Friday prayer, which is the main prayer that we have in the afternoon, it would, I, I would, just, I always tell people it's like more like Sunday mass where everybody really comes to the mosque. Um, we used to have two to 3,000 people that do come to the mosque in a single day, to, in a single one hour, actually, not even a day, just to pray as a congregation and with the restriction. Um, I remember last March, we had, for the first time in the history of the mosque, we've been open for 80 years, we had to shut down the mosque. Because we had a restriction of 15 people that congregate. And if you include the imam and the staff that are there, you're done. And it was right in the midst of Ramadan, which made it very difficult. It's the most holy month for Muslim populations around the world, not only in Edmonton. So we did have to do a lot of adjustments. We did have to work within the system and the rules to try to make it work for our congregation. Um, a lot of good ideas and initiatives were born out of it, I would have to say. Um, a lot of good work within the community um, and not only within the Muslim faith. Um, I think COVID really brought us closer together on a humane level because we were all struggling the same way. 
So kind of a lot of these stereotypes a little bit were shattered. People came together in a, a strong way where we're like, you know what, let's work together. Let's serve our seniors that can't be here. Let's make health checks. Let's, what do we need? How can we partner to make sure that we are serving the community at large? So that was a beautiful thing to see within the Edmontonian community. Well, in Newark, I mean, even just in Western Canada, too, I think uh, both Muslim and Sikh communities uh, did a whole bunch for, for example, stranded truckers with regards to the BC mudslides mm-hmm. and the flood and taking yeah. in other people or at least helping people out that have been impacted by that. There are oftentimes, yeah. and that's not unusual, uh, but it oftentimes yeah. gets reminds people about that service element to, to faith community. Yes, and it, it's very interesting because we, we started this conversation talking about the holidays and Christmas. And once a few things that I always see within our community when I talk to them is they always volunteer to pick up the shifts in Christmas to allow everybody else to actually go and celebrate with their families. Mm. And I always ask them, and I was like, why, why are you working during the holidays? They're, and they, they always say, because people are celebrating. And you know what? I'm not. So I'm going to step up and I'm going to pick up those shifts. We're going to make sure... The people who are celebrating are home with their families to celebrate that. And currently, we do have the most mosque open as a homeless shelter for rough sleepers, for homeless people in Edmonton that cannot find a shelter because the weather has just been very cold. So um, during the holidays, we actually do come together in a very nice way um, and step up to be there for those who need it most and support our vulnerable communities and support just our community in general and help them do celebrate their holidays properly in the best way possible, I guess, during the pandemic. Reverend Corin, how would you approach the question? Well, I think all, all that we've heard, uh, I mean, it, this is very important, it's true. It has brought out in many ways the best of us. I mean, it's rather like when there's a, a deadly, a, a terrible attack. It's it's grotesque, but one of the results is that many people, good people of faith or no faith come together to say, no, this is wrong, this must never happen again. But it doesn't in any way negate how bad the attack was. And as much as there's been some wonderful work that's come out of the pandemic, the pandemic itself has been horrific. And just putting aside faith communities, I mean, it's, it's destroyed people's lives, it's destroyed people. I mean, people, people have died. I, I've, I've, I spent time with people one person lost both parents to it for goodness sake it's been horrific and it's ongoing specifically to to to, to my church uh, well my diocese in ontario we've just closed down for in-person worship over christmas and um that's not the biggest sacrifice in the world but you know it, it, it is a fairly big thing um that means that we'll be recording services online we'll be live streaming we did that for the longest time then and i'm sure <laughs> that you two can empathize. Then we were told we could open with limited numbers and spacing and wearing a mask. Then there were certain other limits and now we have chosen to close down again. I think that's a responsible thing to do. I would say, and I think the Christian world is uh, different from other communities in this. I think there's been a side of Christianity that I'm, well, I'm ashamed of. Uh, and that is uh, a, a fringe, but a noticeable fringe within the Christian world in Canada and elsewhere has been part of the anti-vaccination movement and have refused to close down. And those churches are certainly not the majority in the Christian world, but my golly, they make a lot of noise. And whenever you see an anti-vax demo, there'll be someone with a crucifix. And I die a little inside when I see that, but I can't deny it. I mean, I've written about it. I'm not going to deny this. It has to be acknowledged. Um, There are people who have all sorts of absurd theories about the mark of the beast and, and, and the great reset and the antichrist. And, you know, I, I'm, and I, 
I'm sure, I can't speak for them, but I'm sure both of my friends here, when they see something done in the name of their faith, which is appalling, they, they cringe. And I, as a Christian, do that too, uh, because I know that's not the teaching of my faith. But there are many people who see that and they assume that it is. And that's an ongoing battle that all people of faith, that's why this, I think, meeting is, is so valuable. We share this. We're trying to present with, with our differences, which we should respect and celebrate. We're trying to present what our faiths really teach, which is something very noble and beautiful. But there are people who will show something different and they often get the news and the headlines. And that has been the case during COVID as well. I want to, uh, as we thank the three of you for your time, I know you've got a lot on your plates. They were grateful for this investment in, in quality conversation. It, it, look at us congregating here and coming together to have these conversations. It's what we endeavor to do uh, along different lines, of course, every single morning. Um, I want to ask you to give us something to walk with, something to think about, something to reflect upon, something to aspire to, uh, whatever occurs to you. Uh, just a closing remark. And uh, Noor, we'll go to you first. Can you come to me last? I am yeah, not a religious sure. I can come to you last. Like, I would actually have to think about nope, that. Nope. Those two amazing gentlemen do this. Like they inspire a whole community. That is not me. Hey, come on. You're the, you're the, you're the communications and PR director. No, but no, in all seriousness. And I am throwing you all a curveball because I didn't tell you that I was going to do this. Uh, but, but I know that, that Reverend Corrin is, is, is always ready to go. So why do, why do we go to you, Michael? What's something we should reflect on here heading into these next couple of weeks? Well, I would say I, I'm, I'm going to answer from a Christian point of view. I, I'm, I, I'm a Christian. I'm of a course. Christian. Sure. And I would say that um, our belief is that God became one of us. And the time in our calendar chosen is December 25th. Doesn't matter if it's not that date or not, but chose to be one of us in the form, not of a, of a warlord or a monarch or an, an investment banker. Uh, God bless investment bankers, by the way. But as someone who never owned property and lived under occupation uh, uh, from a, a very ordinary working class family who surrounded himself with the poor and the marginalized and the rejected, lived in a communal sense and preached love and justice and equality, redistribution, forgiveness. Um, and that is what Christmas means, not just within a Christian term, but for, I believe for everybody. That's universal love and universal equality. It, it, I believe that is a message for humanity. And with, with absolute respect for people who don't share my faith, I want to, to wish them that humanity and, and love and equality. Uh, Rabbi, what's something you'd like us to walk with? Yeah, that's uh, hard to follow after the Reverend's uh, eloquent response. Um, but let, me, let me try to get to it. And I'll say one of the things that's really uh, mounting for me personally as a person of faith is my how shall i put it my my displeasure at people who are promoting the the anti-vax uh, approach and um, this is something i'm really struggling and trying to work out for myself which is how do i how do i still see them as somebody who is my brother my sister uh, my friend, my colleague, um, and honor the divinity in that other human being when I, when what they're choosing to do is really flies in the fa face of my, you know, my fundamental beliefs about, um, 
what we call in Hebrew pikuach nefesh, saving lives. And so I'm, uh, I'm, I'm grappling with that, and I and I think others are as well. And so I, I, I just want to bless everyone with the, the insight to um, have your, have your standards, have your your core beliefs, but also remind yourselves that those those people are still uh, human and uh, need to be treated uh, with some some degree of respect too. I had an interesting exchange with Professor Timothy Caulfield yesterday who who talked uh, to me, it felt like, but us uh, about the need for empathy in circumstances when you'd rather just rattle somebody's cage, if you know what I mean. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Noor, Eric said, Stray, I made a good point on our live chat. You said, hey, Jesperson, communications and PR people get to write drafts. And that is very true. So, but but it's an honor to give you, my friend, last word as we wrap up this conversation. Thank you, thank you very much. I'll actually just what I'll say is what is something that I personally do during the holidays is um, I take it back to the basics of us just being humans and just checking on our neighbors, um, talking to our friends that we haven't heard from in a while, even if you're not celebrating. Um, we all are fighting our own battles. We are all have our demons. We're all going through something, especially now during the pandemic. So just check on your neighbors, check on your friends, make sure that you're reaching out. Sometimes even the simplest smile can help somebody um, change perspective on their whole day. So just be kind to one another, um, reach a helping hand and be there for just be your he- good human self. So beautifully said. Uh, that's Noor Al-Hannity, uh, comms PR director at the Canadian Islamic Center at Al-Rashid Mosque uh, here in Edmonton. Uh, the Reverend Michael Korn. You're joining us from Toronto, right, Michael? That's correct? As far as I know, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Michael Corrin <laughs> joining us from the center of the universe, an Anglican priest and author of The Rebel Christ. I've read it. You must as well. And Rabbi Khalil Rose, uh, a good friend, um, uh, chiming in from uh, Winnipeg, uh, where he leads uh, the congregation Eitz Chaim. I do my best, Rabbi, out of respect. And I thank all of you uh, for joining us. A very happy holiday season to the celebrations that have occurred already, those to come. And of course, as you continue to influence lives in the most positive sense over the next year. We thank you for this. Thank you, Ron, because you know what? Um, Religion, whatever the religion, doesn't get a a good presentation anywhere, really, including in Canada. And to have the three of us on being, I think, pretty reasonable (laughs) and presenting what I would suggest is more the reality of faith. uh, Thank God. And thank you. There you go. I appreciate that, Michael. You bet. Yeah. Yeah. Perhaps, you know, we would have wished for more disagreement. I don't know. But that wasn't the spirit of this conversation, was it? Um, We don't think about that stuff too much. We don't try to think about supercharged questions that would pit the the Jewish faith leader against the, the, uh, you know, the Muslim faith leader or the or the spokesperson or the the Christian author versus the rabbi, um, but rather to bring people together and and allow the conversation to free flow. Um, There was some tension. I, I, I thought about, you know, the reverence interpretation of Merry Christmas and how that is not something inflammatory uh, versus the rabbi's experience saying that growing up as a young man in Winnipeg, that was something that, in my words, not his, rubbed him the wrong way, occurred to him to be rather strange. And, but uh, no, I appreciate that conversation and to, and to the live chat as well. I wasn't dropping in there a ton. I, I bet you we're going to get some emails on this one, which is great. You can get in touch with us, of course, anytime to talk at ryanjesperson.com. I'm going to read an email in just a little bit. But first, you know, every Wednesday, um, it's our tradition and our pleasure 
uh, to step out to the mountains, if only virtually for now, although some of you may be tuning into Real Talk, maybe you're live streaming on the Mixler audio app on your drive out to Jasper. Who knows? Maybe you're going to be spending your days off out there right now in partnership with Tourism Jasper. We present My Jasper Memories. And I wanted to remind you about something coming up right now. This is huge on the calendar. Uh, for people that love to get out to Jasper National Park and experience the wonder that comes with that landscape and then some of the programs of all of the fun things to do during Jasper's renowned winter festival, Jasper in January. I'm going to be out there. I hope to see you out there. The Pyramid Winter Fet is one that you should definitely make sure that you check out. This outdoor event happens at the iconic Pyramid Lake with stunning views of Pyramid Mountain. There will be, and these are their words, this is official, this is a proclamation, there will be drool-worthy sweet treats. If that doesn't get you out there, what will? Well, maybe the iconic Canadian activities like riding in a horse-drawn sleigh, maybe skating on a frozen lake. I can hear it right now, the cut of the blades on that natural ice. It's the greatest sound. And your post holiday wallet when you start getting those credit card bills in you're going to love the fact that this event is completely free that's right it happens across three weekends from jasper uh in jasper in january from january 14th through the 30th from 2 to 5 p.m at pyramid lake again it's the three weekends running from january 14th through the 30th from 2 to 5 p.m you can learn more at jasper.travel slash Real talk. That's where you can catch up on all the My Jasper memories we've shared. Uh, indigenous traditions, some of the history of the region, some of the, I mean, we're talking about the best patio spots, the best places to dine, the best cabin culture in Jasper. I mean, we've got more and more of these wonderful features if you'd like to check them out. And we also invite you to share your Jasper memories with us. And we absolutely loved this one from Susan. This one, I, I revisited this because I feel like I can hear their feet crunching on the snow. Susan reached out to us. She, you know, We want you to hashtag my Jasper, hashtag Real Talk RJ. She says we're enjoying beautiful my Jasper memories, beautiful mountains, beautiful friends. They were headed to the third bridge on the High Line, Moline Canyon. I, I've looked at this like five times already because I kind of feel like I'm there hiking with Susan and her friends. Look at these smiles. Are you kidding me? We want to see your Jasper memories. Look at the color of that water. What? You're not going to get that anywhere other than Jasper National Park. Make sure you hashtag my Jasper and Real Talk RJ. We'd love to see your Jasper memories. So I get this email from Michael. Uh, this was right after Senator Paula Simons and uh, Dr. Barry Cooper, a political scientist from the University of Calgary, joined us to talk about uh, whether or not Alberta should leave Canada. And of course, the answer is, of course not. Uh, and so Michael <laughs> the reaches out and he says, team. Uh, in response to today's guest, Dr. Barry Cooper, he wrote this the day of uh, this was last Thursday. The guy from the UFC, whose only real argument for separation had to do with oil and gas and pipelines. He said, I wanted to you know, point this out. Well, well this is, you know, we're talking about the United States, says Michael, in, in my subsequent comments. It, it will bring this focus, uh, I think, to an issue that that lacks focus sometimes, you know, more pipelines. He says, I don't understand why the go to response to people that don't have any connection to the oil and gas sector other than perhaps identity politics. They always think that adding more pipelines are going to solve issues. Even here in Alberta, there's been research done over the years to show that pipelines running through Alberta, they're never running at capacity. And that numbers when it comes to empty space or air barrels, as they're called, can be as high as 40 percent, 40 percent of them 
free, not being used. And with companies overbooking room and pipelines for the express purpose of preventing competition from being able to ship product. That's an interesting point. He says pipelines at this point are just dog whistle talking points for supporters of certain politics. It's a great way to get support and it's a great way to raise funding, Uh, even if the construction itself may seem to have no use. Michael says, you know, the Trans Mountain Pipeline, TMX, for example, from the parliamentary budget office itself on one of its more recent assessments uh, suggested that the project could lose 20 billion dollars over its proposed operating lifespan, not to mention issues around the pipeline, trying to find insurers to cover it. You know, why would we throw this money away so foreign companies can make profit taking resources out of the province and out of the country? Michael says, it seems to me that the only ones benefiting from this pipeline issue are pipeline companies and politicians who fundraise off pipeline companies. He said, you know, there's an interesting segment. There's an article. He says people should Google in early 2020 when American oil production was relatively high, somewhere between 30 and 40 percent of America's pipelines were sitting unused. Michael says, I would hazard a guess that the states like here has no regulation around pipeline removal once its operation is stopped. And much like our orphan or abandoned well issue, we should also be looking at pipeline extraction says that that's a lot of steel to just be leaving abandoned in the ground. Can you imagine a politician that started pulling pipelines out of the ground right now? Are you uh, I'm going to I'm just going to say as an armchair political strategist. If you're not Jugmeet Singh or Elizabeth May or with apologies, whoever's leaving, leading the Green Party right now, uh, if you're Justin Trudeau. I mean, first of all, no way. Aaron, I mean, Aaron O'Toole would just I mean, that's like that's not even come on. <laughs> But even if you're Justin Trudeau, who bought a pipeline, there's no way you're pulling pipelines out of the ground. But let me get back to Michael's email. He says, maybe if you want to build a pipeline, part of the formula should be fronting the cost of removal so it doesn't fall on the public to pay the cost. He says, I say this as we've got TMX sitting here. He says, I'm sure hardline supporters will say something like it's ridiculous to make companies set aside funds for pipeline extraction up front. No pipeline would ever be built again if that's the case, to which I would say, good, they're not needed in the first place. And secondly, if the company can't be responsible for cleaning up after itself, why are they be allowed to move forward in the first place? The cost just gets downloaded onto the public. The public should not have to pay to clean up private industries mess. Michael says to real talkers, stay safe out there in the cold and snow and have a great rest of your week. That from Michael. Interesting points. I appreciate the points. And when I read emails, it's not me endorsing the perspective necessarily, but I think Michael makes some interesting points. People also point out that pipelines could be used for a number of different things, right? Maybe we could pipe BC wine into Alberta, into Hardesty. Maybe we, maybe, maybe, no. And those big, maybe we could those pipe, big pipe canola things, oil. Those big west places that they store all of the silos. Yeah. It's all full of wine. Yeah, sure. <laughs> a silo full of wine. Why not? I mean, they do a lot, a lot of the Chardonnays right now. You know, they'll do like the, the people want the unoaked Chardonnay. Folks like me, they'll do like the stainless steel. You could this could be the new thing. Although I don't know the size of the vineyard you'd have to have to fill a silo. Let's find out. And I wonder if the traditional winemakers, I don't do people do this anymore. Like they put on their special boots, the rubber boots, and they actually go in and stomp the grapes. I don't like know if people do that anymore. Or is that but just I've always in, wanted to try it. Yeah. Is that just in rom-coms where they Maybe. do it like the. You know, she goes to Venice to like 
you know, to go, got out of the bed. Eat, eat, pray, love. love. Yeah, exactly. You know, she goes to like, goes to Venice to like, you know, rent a villa and write her book, write her memoir. And then she meets the person she never thought she'd meet. And the next thing you know, they're stomping on grapes together and they fall into the grapes in an embrace. They're not wearing rubber boots, though. It's barefoot. For yeah, it's sure. got to be barefoot. Michael's like, okay, guys, so it took you 40 seconds to go from my email to Eat, Pray, Love. Unbelievable. Real talk. That's got to be a record. That's got to be a record. No, we're, we can be really good at taking things on tangents. That's for sure. Um, why don't we get to, uh, do I even want to talk about this? It's just going to make me angry now. Okay, Sam, let's show it. Let's show my screen. This from Edmonton's Food Bank. This is a local story, but I think anybody can relate to this. Um, per their tweet this morning, thanks to the thieves. Look at this security camera. You're watching them work. You're watching them do this. To the thieves, look at them and they're wearing safety vest. Look, unbelievable. They're wearing coveralls. Look at these jackasses wearing coveralls. To the thieves helping themselves to a Merry Christmas at the expense of Edmonton's food bank. Despite the fact that thousands of people rely on our support this season, you stole a catalytic converter and disabled two of our trucks during our busiest week of pickups. We hope it was worth it. This, this, the theft of catalytic converters is a big deal. Uh, friends of ours, uh, they, they operate a business. I don't even want to say who they are because I what if they get targeted again? I don't know. They own a realty company kind of near us, and they're always we've got our houses like a little Fort Knox ish, and so we've got cameras all over the place. And they've come to us several times asking for footage because they they've had on multiple occasions catalytic converters stolen out of their trucks, um, their work trucks, uh, because of course they have these rare. Sam, do you know what minerals or materials are in them? There's some some sort of rare material in a catalytic converter. Um, Throw me a curveball here. Yeah, no, that's fine. Oh, we found something. We finally stumped Sam. That's yes! got to be a segment. Stump Sam. <laughs> it can be presented by Eden Landscaping. What an amazing stump Sam. Sam. How do you feel about this new contest? This new, I, are you okay with it? Well, it's like I don't want to brand myself as some guy that knows no, everything. No, we are branding you well, as that. Okay. I don't know it all. If you do it, if you do it, you're arrogant. If we do it, you can accept it. You can be like, oh, shucks, you guys, I don't know everything. And we'll say, that's right, he doesn't. But he knows most things. you got to find what Sam doesn't know. It's Stop Sam, presented Sam. by the team at Eden Landscaping. And that's what we'll do. But I know that there's there's something in catalytic converters that makes them quite valuable. Yes. Um, and so, first of all, this is brilliant brutal um and, and second of all fuck you guys uh you, like it says right on the side of the truck edmonton's food bank you're stealing from the food bank like there were like it's one thing that you're gonna go steal catalytic converters it's another to steal from the food bank um but they let me say so this so expensive to replace a friend oh, of mine for sure i think they're like over a thousand bucks oh well over yeah and uh, a friend of mine just par- his vehicle was parked outside of his house on the street and somebody overnight came in had all the the tools and took the catalytic converter and he had to pay big time money to get it replaced. Uh, Jillian uh, chimes in, says there's rhodium, uh, chromium and platinum. Uh, Hope says there's titanium. I don't know. I'm not fine uh, fact checking these, but you guys sound pretty smart. So we'll we'll just trust you on this one. Uh, Kay says there's a special place in hell for guys that steal from a charity. Uh, you know, this this reminds me of a story back in, in our hometown, in our home city here of Edmonton. There's this place called Victoria Promenade and there's this series of benches and their memorial benches my aunt and uncle as a matter of fact have their names on one of them and 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 a, and a guy went through with a crowbar and stole a whole bunch of the, the metal plaques because they could be recycled and because he could make money off these now obviously the guy got caught uh which was good to see but we've had people stealing plaques off firefighter memorials we've had people stealing. i want to know who are 
the recyclers or who are the companies that are accepting obviously stolen catalytic converters and i would imagine several catalytic converters at a time from people that are coming in sketchy as hell like that's part of it i mean i know that there's got to be a market i've got kind of like a you know a, a pollyanna probably type reality around things like i've never operated a pawn shop but i've always wondered i mean you know i'm not saying everybody that brings things to a pawn shop is is a thief obviously that's not true however i bet you there's a ton of stolen goods in most pawn shops items without i'm speculating here i'm speaking freely this is my opinion but i think that that's probably the case right our truck got broken into a couple of years ago all of my snowboarding gear was stolen. I'm oh. quite certain it wasn't a snowboarder that saw it. I'm quite certain it was someone that probably flipped it for 50 bucks, right? Snowboarding gear that was obviously very expensive to replace. I don't know. I mean, I'm just, what, what, who are these people? Like, if you're only stealing catalytic converters if you're getting paid. And so who are the people that are accepting the, am I, am I just being naive here? Am I being naive and, and the people accepting them are just, hey man, it's business and we're not going to ask questions where the converters come from? I don't know. I think probably there is a underground cottage industry of stripping the metals out of catalytic furnitures before, you know, finally you just have this box of raw, valuable metal. And when you bring that to a recycler, it's a little bit more palatable for that. I, I do want to touch on the, the pawn shop thing. And I, and I only say this, you know, I guess I'm going to say in defense of pawn shops, but I remember going way down the rabbit hole when my bike was stolen a couple of years ago and talking to uh, EPS and talking to pawn shops and talking to some people. And, and actually pawn shops are required by law before they put anything for sale on the floor to register the serial numbers. It's interesting. The market where most stolen goods goes is your Kijiji's and your Facebook marketplace mm. and your Craigslist. Yeah. Now we're going to hear from big pawn shop that's going to get in touch with me and be like, you don't know what the hell you're talking about. We've been I, working with police for years. I, I appreciate that point. I mean, to zoom out a little bit further, what I think about is like, what are the conditions? And maybe it's going to be like, oh, bleeding heart, Sarah. But what are the conditions that are causing these folks to have to resort to this? Yes. That's what I like. So me, to me, I'm like, this is an argument for universal basic income. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I mean, maybe. Like them I, well, I mean, maybe, but I mean, who are you, I mean, like, if, and I don't totally mean this, we're just having fun here, Sarah, but like, somebody steals a catalytic converter out of a truck for the food bank uh, and it screws over a whole bunch of people that would have pickups and deliveries for the food bank. And so, if you want to look at it, like, I mean, you know, I, I, nah, you know, I'm not even. It's a fair point. I think that you're talking, you know, we talk about proactive measures. We talk about, uh, you know, proactive as, you know, as opposed to reactive, oftentimes in the context of like healthcare delivery or mm. health initiatives or mm. public health programs or things like that. It's smarter to invest early before people get sick so we don't have to pay for the, and, and I get it. And, and I don't know, there's always also just going to be bad people oh yeah there's there, always just there gonna be jerks. shitty people regardless of whether there's a universal basic income or not there's still gonna be people that are stealing there's still gonna be people and you know i mean i just i'm gonna say like i understand that some people have obviously have had horrifically difficult lives some people are some people are born into a scenario that would qualify as unfair 
and life is not fair and that's tragic and maybe life never will be and it's the laws of nature and and we could get all esoteric and and these types of things and i understand that if you're out there stealing catalytic converters out of food bank trucks that that probably you're in a position that would be unenviable i don't think the average person's like leaving their two beautiful children sleeping in bed at home and their loving spouse or partner and their you know nice home with a big backyard to go steal from the food bank um but at the same time and this is where people say to me where do i lean left where do i lean right i'm 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 a little less left and I'm, and I'm not even really in the center when it comes to some things around crime. Um, and this stuff really pisses me off. And so, uh, you know, I'm pissed off, too. I'm not saying like, oh, poor thieves. Like, I'm, I'm not saying that uh, I'm not saying that at all. I don't like crime. I don't want to see crime, but I see what are the underlying causes of it. And it's it is when people are not able to have resources they don't have access to resources i love this from scarlet who says i also love sarah from one bleeding heart to another and jill who hits the nail on the head as far as i'm concerned says uh i'd be more sympathetic if they stole the food if somebody stole food from the food bank i wouldn't say a word i mean unless they stole 150 turkeys or something unless it was like stank but yeah if somebody stole i mean there's differences right here it's like it's like that classic story of like and typically there are racial implications right where like you know a white guy stole like 15 billion dollars and got a slap on the wrist and a black man stole a loaf of bread and wound up in jail it was his third strike and he wound up in jail for life in the u.s i mean you hear these stories all the time um and context is important but i just i don't know it just really rubbed me the wrong way i guess what i'm really trying to do here is 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 if there's somebody out there that's been just kind of like intending uh or meaning to get around to a donation edmonton's food bank maybe there's somebody that maybe this prompts you to feel led today to maybe go cover the cost of the catalytic converter or whatever maybe you own a garage maybe it's something you could do maybe you're a mechanic who knows i just wanted to put that story on our radar i also just looked at the time holy smokes we've we we're like we're doing shorter shows now because it's what everybody wants and then now all of a sudden we're like let's just settle in but it's this it's this week in late december a couple of my friends yesterday i'm talking to them, they think we're nuts that we're even doing this week right now they're like why aren't you guys just taking it off I said the people need their conversation pal including big debates on how people would feel about the opportunity to purchase smartphones that neither make nor receive phone calls. And you put out the unofficial unscientific Twitter poll yesterday. So we had to check in on it and I am devastated by the results. Although I have to say a relatively small number of votes. The sample size is quite small. So as Sam knows, we're just trying to find any way to throw shade because Sam gets to gloat in the corner. You're like every politician's favorite spin doctor. Yes, exactly. Uh, 61% of respondents uh, say, no, I would not buy a smartphone that neither makes nor receives phone calls because I like phone calls. Uh, 11% of you were undecided that left 28% of you with Sarah and I don't call me ever unless your family. My caveat is unless your family don't call me ever. Right. I mean, and even then sometimes maybe not. I'm speaking for myself. If yeah. you're family, you can call me. If you're not family, text me, email me. Do not call. I will not pick up. I would like to say hello to Chris Sturwald, who I had an hour-long phone conversation with yesterday, and that's all I'm going to say. Okay, thank you for using our platform for your personal messaging, Sam. 
Speaking of Chris Sterling, really we, we should mention we should mention Chris is a we love him. He's the drummer for Ayla Brooke. We wanted to mention quickly that unfortunately that show tonight Ayla Brooke was going to put on uh, has been postponed. This was the annual Christmas shindig uh, or the Xmas. Sh- we should have yeah you we, we if we had more time with our faith leaders we could have asked Michael how he feels about taking the Christ out of Christmas Xmas. I you know I was raised I'm not going to say by my parents but but in the school that I grew Xmas was like a declaration of war. Um, I, I had one teacher. <laughs> oh my. God. God. No, I had one teacher. She's a wonderful lady. Uh, her name was Miss Thursk. And she, her brother was astronaut Robert Thursk. Yeah, he came into the classroom. T- I've had a patch. I don't know if I still have it. I wish I had it. Uh, like, a, like a Canadian space agency patch. Like when you're in grade four or something like that, and you have a patch that the astronauts have. Are you kidding me? How cool is that? But I remember Miss Thursk, w- w- and this is all kind of almost kind of cute, um, would not write Xmas, but she would write C-mus. And I, was, and I was even in grade four. I was like, you're still taking the Christ out of Christmas. It's semantics at this point. But I digress. Did you actually say semantics in grade four? Oh, yes. I was very I was <laughs> digging into theological discussion and debate. <laughs> but back to the announcement that matters. The Xmas shindig uh, with Ayla Brooke and the Soundman and the Kimberly McGregor band has been postponed at the Starlight Room tonight. But they do encourage, you know, for public health reasons, they do encourage you still to consider this was a benefit for Edmonton's food bank. Uh, is that ironic or is that just make it sound like we're actually coordinating our content that there's actually some strategy to what we're doing here tonight i don't know uh i don't know but ayla brooke and the sound men will be rescheduling that show and of course we'll be happy to keep you posted when they do i wanted to wish a very happy holidays right back at the team at grand dog essentials if you're watching us on youtube you can see this right here look at their holiday card happy holidays from the grand dog pack at granddog.ca this is actually our family tree and uh, we've got it there. We're so proud to partner with this family-owned business and feed our furry family members their quality raw food. Granddog.ca is where you can learn more about their quality raw food, including beef and turkey. There's other options as well, chicken. Um, and uh, and then they've got the supplements, which are big for us. Our boxer, Moses, he's nine. Uh, he was starting to... I was actually getting a little bit emotional. He was starting to really have a hard time getting up, having a really hard time. He was, he was up through the night. He was unsettled. He's got some back issues as it stands, and he's an older dog. We've got him on these Grand Dog Supplements. Buddy of mine saw him the other day. Benny X says to me, what's up with Moses? I go, it's these Grand Dog Supplements. He goes, he is remarkably healthier. I mean, he just looks so much better. I mean, that's Grand Dog. At granddog.ca, from my house to yours, I'm telling you the truth. The promo code REALTALK gets you 10% off your first-time order delivered to your door at granddog.ca. Our friends at Local Waste are proud to present Trash Talk here on Real Talk every single week. It's going to be tomorrow. It's going to be on Thursday's show, Friday, our special edition Patreon Zoom call. It's a holiday tradition for us here at Real Talk. So Thursday, tomorrow, our last so-called public show will present Trash Talk Local waste has been keeping it local providing bins the 10 foot bins the 40 fit bins whatever you need whether it's a roofing job or maybe you're doing a basement renovation maybe it's a big landscaping project coming up this spring keep local waste in mind operating in alberta and saskatchewan you can request a quote today at localwaste.ca. Our friends at the Dairy Queens of Northwest Edmonton in Sherwood Park want you to know it's not too late. You've still got a couple of days to get your orders in or to walk in and pick up a holiday log cake. 
You know exactly what I'm talking about. This is the Dairy Queen holiday staple. You can do a custom design or you can choose one of the holiday log cakes that are already set to go for pickup in their freezers in the Dairy Queens of Palisades, Nemeo, Newcastle, Westmount, and Baseline Road. Don't forget to pick up your DQ bucks. Five ball, uh, $5 donation to the Stallery Children's Hospital Foundation means five bucks to spend at DQ for you. It's a big win-win at the Dairy Queens of Northwest Edmonton and Sherwood Park. And finally, mentioning earlier our friends at Eden Landscaping, we'd like to let you know it'll probably be early January when we roll out Stump Sam. Our new promotion, <laughs> I don't know, we could actually have a lot of fun with this, you know. I have to suspect the team at Eden Landscaping would be all over this. You know what else they're all over is taking your project from design through to completion. So you're not hiring a landscape architect, then hiring a contractor. Then you got to figure out how, how do we hire somebody to run the electrical for the new hot tub or hire a gas fitter to put in our outdoor kitchen. They do it all and they do not leave the job site until you're completely satisfied. You can make contact with Eden Landscaping today via landscapeedmonton.com. CA. Hit the post. I just had to let the drummer finish. Of that. course. That's of course you the, did. If you've just let the, you know, the drummer's got to finish on the toms. Coming up tomorrow, and I'm really excited about this, he is the original, the OG hockey insider, the Bob McKenzie, a.k.a. Bobby Margarita, will join us to talk about the Olympic Games, the World Juniors, and so much more, plus our year-end roundup with political commentators, authors, and journalists, including Sapria Devetti and Jana Pruden, and eat your words! We'll talk to you soon. Real Talk is hosted by Ryan Jesperson, editorial producer Sarah Hoyles, technical producer Sam Brooks, Managing Director, Josh Dunford. Account Coordinator, Tanya Franklin. Merchandise Operations, Katie Cook-Chivers. Website Design, Mike Johnston. VoiceOver by me, Carrie Skelton. Real Talk's Editorial Board is Sapria Duvetti, Ahmed Ali, Anne Castleman, Corey Hogan, Julie Rohr, Harmon Candola, Catherine O'Neill, and Chris Henderson. Real Talk is recorded in Edmonton, Alberta on Treaty 6 territory, the traditional and ancestral territory of the Cree, Dene, Blackfoot, Salto, and Nakota Sioux, home to Métis Settlements and the Métis Nation of Alberta. Real Talk is the flagship property of Relay Communications Group Incorporated. All rights reserved. For more, check out ryanjesperson.com.